Hey there folks, so when I lived in Utah, I had met many local couples who loved picnicking and hiking along a place called Fish Lake, and it's actually Utah's highest freshwater mountain lake, a really cool spot. But many did not realize beneath their feet, under that grass, deep into the glacier-rich mineral soil, is something old. Something large and it is lurking and expanding its tendrils through the alpine basin. Those quaking aspen trees surrounding them are as stems for food. 40,000 trees strong, millions of leaves, all genetically the same organism. The roots connecting all of these trees is what we call Pando. And he is the largest organism in the entire world. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about it, because I had the pleasure of sharing multiple trips to the lake with this giant, this trembling giant. So let's discuss it on this week's Fringe History. How's it going, all my explorers of the wild, those red rock druids, and all the desert wanderers, and of course, anyone else interested in fringe history? It's your residential traveling weirdo and amateur folklorist, Basti, here. I'm hoping to bring you some of the stories of the past, and ones that you could even visit today. I mean, there's no better way to appreciate history than just going there. And you go there all the time anyways. I mean, everywhere has a history and everything eventually gets a little weird. I mean, an everyday lake trip or even just a hike could lead you right over a ritual pit or some ancient ghost treasure. But this week's case, it's the world's largest organism, Pando. It's a wonder to many and research on this living leviathan right under the dirt is less than a century old. It's a relatively recent marvel, and it's been watching over mankind for millennia, overcoming impossible odds and surviving even what mankind can do to nature. I mean, we build a highway on top of it, we drive our cars around it, we drive jet skis over the lake that it's under, and this thing endures. But could there be a possible issue with it? Some people report yes, but we'll get into it when we talk about this third million pound, I mean that's 6,600 ton creature living under the dirt, Pando. But how did it begin? Let's explore the story of Pando from its seedling. Our story begins in the lands of glaciers, volcanoes, and earthquakes all meeting in central Utah. Now, according to the friendsofpando.org website and the usda.gov website, the inception of Pando begins with a theory that, like most trees, a seedling was carried into the sky. Now, it had to reach 9,000 feet all the way up into this Fish Lake Basin, the highest freshwater lake in all of Utah, and somehow 
This seedling of a quaking aspen landed on the southeastern edge of the fish lake. This land was littered with volcanic boulders and was split apart by an active fault line. It was a home to abundance of mineral-rich till from all the glacier water that had been in there before the time. The geology was formed by landslides. There's just constant landslides coming over. There's forest fires happening all the time, natural ones that are burning down entire locations. And then these harsh, hard winters come in and just pummel it with snow. But somehow this wasteland was the perfect home for the seed as it created an inhospitable environment for any competition Pando could have countered in its early days. I mean, especially things like conifer trees. The, that was one of Pando's biggest rivals, especially as it grows up. And conifer trees are legit. What long neck dinosaurs used to eat, what brontosauruses would reach their long necks up and eat. So these are behemoths of things but Pando didn't let it hold Dano. Pando grew and grew. This is about 9,000, 12,000 years ago, after the first ice age. Pando is just growing, and any encroaching trees are being burned down by wildfires, while the shrubs and bushes growing and encrunching in on it too are just being crushed by landslides. I mean, any one of these landslides could have took out the Pando root, just crushed it with a giant boulder. Yet somehow Pando endures, that is until 150 years into its life cycle, something put it into distress. Some catastrophe or disaster that is undamed and unfigured out put Pando in so much distress that this tree, which yes, Pando is a male tree. That's why I refer to it as a he. And he only produces pollen as a male. Yet somehow around this time when this disaster happens, its early development is affected and its growth hormones and its hormones alongside inside of its trunk are created with an imbalance. And this imbalance causes Pando to do a process called suckering. When a Pando or quaking aspen colony suckers, this is when it essentially just sends up new stems from the root, which allows it to self-propagate. Now, this is just instead of sending out pollen and seedlings and doing the regular tree thing, it's just expanding underground and constantly popping up new trees. Then these new trees allow for, you know, it to be able to feed off of the sunlight, it's able to collect water, and then from that root, it's able to expand further, cloning again constantly cloning and expanding outward. There is no seed needed. So Pando is just this self-organism constantly growing out with its suckering ability. Now it grew to enormous proportions, uh, relying on only expanding out and creating these new nutrient sources. Now its roots are capable of growing what they've estimated to find three feet in a direction every year. Now it's been growing this way, maybe even faster, maybe even slower some years, for over 9,000 years. It's somewhere between nine and 12,000 years. In theory, this root system, if stretched out, can reach 12,000 miles. That is half the distance of the world it could wrap around. <laughs> the world's largest organism with some of the freakiest traits now. That's how Pando came down and formed what it is today. It's endured all mankind for so long, watching wars go past it, watching the Fremont people grow around it, watching the Mormons come into Utah. Through all of this, 
Pando survives, and this is for a few different traits. The biggest one is just quaking aspens in general, the tree. It's an extremely durable tree that thrives in horrible circumstances. Like I had mentioned before, the wildfires, the landslides. This is because quaking aspens, and Pando specifically, has fire-resistant traits. Yeah, it's a tree with fire resistance traits. The two biggest ones being it contains a lot of water inside of its systems, which just makes it inherently a wet tree that's hard to burn down. Secondly, it forms this waxy base around its bark. And this waxy base is extremely hard to burn. There's almost no oils coming off of it. So there's no thing for that to burn. Um, and on top of that, the tree branches are high up. So, so forest fires on the ground spreading via brushes and shrubs and grass it's not reaching up to the branches only being able to affect the base which is full of water and with this waxy coating that pando is a built to survive along with this pando also features chlorophyll not only in its leaves but in its bark that means in the winter, when all of its leaves fall off, Pando is able to stay healthy and provide energy. Granted, not much energy. It's a Utah winter. It's really harsh. You get tons of snow. It's able to collect just enough energy to stay healthy. And right when spring starts to break, it is the first thing to start growing. It is the first thing to expand its roots back out, start getting its leaves going, and it has the energy to do that. And now one of the last kind of crazy things about Pando in the story, before we go into some fact and fiction, and get into who discovered Pando in the fact section. Pando's survival trait is just insane to me in the sense that it grows right along the lakeside, all the way up this high red rock basin mountain in this almost alpine environment in Utah. If a patch of its trees is starting to deteriorate or, you know, not grow healthily, it's not getting the nutrients it needs, maybe ungulates, which are any living thing that could affect a tree, beetles, deer, infections, things like this could all hamper the growth of Pando. So Pando is smart enough to say, okay, a patch of land on the top of the basin is dying because it's not retrieving enough water. The trees all the way down by the lake system can take in more water reserves and send it through the root system all the way to the top of the mountain. Vice versa, like I said with ungulates, if ungulates are affecting a certain patch of trees, it can choose to stop feeding those clones and direct nutrients to more healthy areas or sprout new stems in a better area, it believes. This is all super unique to Pando because it shows that Pando works as a single organism. It's not just a bunch of trees looking out for themselves, it's truly one giant organism looking out for the well-being of all of its clones, since genetically it's all the same. It's really cool to me that the root system can cut off clones that it doesn't think is going to do well, it could elaborate in other zones better, and because of this, the regeneration on this tree is just insane. It's going in all directions, super hard to lock down exactly how big or how healthy this thing is at all times. But in this next section of the facts, I hope to bring you some of the examples of exact hard concrete numbers on this guy and I see exactly how he competes up with other world's largest organisms to see if he deserves the title he's gotten. Hey 
Heyo! So in the last section, I mainly talked about the story of Pando, its origin, the scientific facts or at least estimates of how it came to be and the unique circumstances in which it became the world's largest organism. But now let's get into some hard facts about exactly how much it weighs, exactly how long is it, things like this, because that's how it's gonna square up against the other world's largest organisms in the world. But firstly, where it was identified uh, in 1976 by a guy named Jerry Kemperman and Burton Barnes. Then it's not until 1992 that a group of uh, professors from the University of Colorado at Boulder went back to it. Now this is Michael Grant, Jeffrey Mitten, and Jan Linhart. These professors came back and it gave it its classification as the largest organism by weight. A really important distinction between this. World's largest organism, I mean there's by weight, which is also by mass. There's the tallest organism. There's the longest organism. You know, there's organisms that go on for miles, including Pando itself. But Pando isn't the longest by mileage. It is definitely by weight. And they're also the one to give Pando its name which in Latin means I spread. Uh, a fantastic verbiage for our little pando buddy. <laughs> little guy, little tiny pando. Fant it's funny to see like the twigs of pando. It's really just a marvel to hold one in your hand to be like, yeah, uh-huh, and that used to be part of this big, okay. And it wasn't until 2008 that geneticists from Utah University, Utah State University, and the University of Southampton came over to pando and confirmed that it was a clone. They did genetic testing on it all and they found the same genetic results in every one of these trees they're all the same organism and they found it to actually be slightly larger than it was estimated from 43.3 hecta acres to 43.6 hecta acres now one hecta acre that's a metric unit is about 100,000 square feet now for us let's look at some of the how big this thing is because it is, it is nearly 13 million pounds that's 6,600 tons one creature one organism is there it's 103 acres long some people say it's 106 no it's is 103. 40,000 individual trees and growing every day. This thing is a monster all in one root system. That is the root system is about 9,000 to 12,000 years old, sometime before the first ice age, like I had mentioned. But the oldest tree, the trees are constantly dying and giving way for new trees. So the oldest tree was marked to be about 130 years old. Let's get into a little bit of kind of fact and fiction real quick. This was featured on the Friends of Pando site. I thought it was a good little like dispelling of some of the myths out there to fit my facts section pretty well. Uh, now some people say Pando is 40,000 to 80,000 years old. That's definitely not true. There's no way it can live in the last ice age. Definitely would have been way too inhospitable. Some of the dispute could come over. Pando is the world's largest tree or not. If we're looking at a single tree, Pando's a whole organism of thousands of trees. So by mass, yeah, all the trees collected, they are heavier than anything in this world. But single tree, I mean, the general Sherman Sequoia in Sequoia National Forest, I used to take road trips through that thing. Sequoia National Forest, so cool. You just driving straight through trees, just these behemoths living right in our backyard. That, the world's biggest tree is 
five times less the dry weight of Pando. It can't even start to approach Pando's weight. Pando is enormous. And then if we're looking at like the longest tree clone or anything like that, I mean, the second largest quaking Aspen clone is only 47 acres versus Pando's 103 acres. But this is one of the bigger myths I wanted to dispel for sure. That's Pando is dying. I saw even like National Geographic had an article saying that it was being eaten to death bit by bit. Th this isn't exactly true. It's misleading. It's true in the sense that ungulates, yes, eat pando every day, every year, and they destroy certain patches of pando. But that's kind of like any tree, and it's mainly basing it on the regeneration of the trees. And pando is constantly growing from the research we find. The ungulates like deers or even bark beetles are a particular kind of bug that have been affecting pando. It hasn't restricted the regeneration in all too much. Now, researcher Sam St. Clair suggests that a tipping point for the death of a tree colony that clones in this way is about 60% reduction of the regenerative total area. So if you see that kind of reduction, that's a really big indicator that something's wrong, which Pando is far, far from that. I don't even believe the reduction areas are above 5%, let alone enough to warrant any kind of Pando is dying conversation. Now, it is interesting to see that, like, yeah, we should help it regenerate and create new regenerative zones for it. I mean, this thing's a marvel to the world. I love Pando. It's a giant elder god sitting right under our feet. But some people like to make the argument that maybe Pando could just be cloned again. You just take a part of Pando, plant it somewhere else, let it do its thing. This isn't true. Pando, what makes it so unique is it operates as a whole. It is a single organism. If you were to replant it in a new place, it wouldn't necessarily grow like Pando, and it doesn't have any seedlings or saplings or anything like that. Like, it just wouldn't be Pando anymore. And that's what makes it such an incredibly cool little thing. The biggest threat to this guy? Some might think it's a, a mushroom. Some might think it's something called the honey mushroom or the humongous fungus, which is another world's largest organism living in the Malheur National Forest in Oregon. This thing is a monstrous, parasitic god feeding off of the forest it lives in, killing trees left and right. While it is one of the longest organisms in the world, by mass, it does not nearly compare to what Pando has to it. Which leads us to its real competitor, the Poseidon's Ribbon Weed. It's a type of seagrass in Australia. Um, <laughs> it does sound like a kind of fire strain name, but it is 47 square mile span of a cloned seaweed, much like Panda. I believe it's a different process and we could go over some of the other words, largest organisms, give them a feature case in the future. But what's interesting about the Poseidon ribbonweed is that it specifically, if you were to weigh it, they have estimated that the weight of all of this seaweed is almost the weight of Pando to the point where even someone like super defensive, like the uh, friendsofpando.org site was not willing to admit that it's bigger than the seagrass. So right now we kind of got a showdown between the two largest organisms, this 47 square mile <laughs> seagrass or Pando, the giant elder god who lives on top of the highest basin in Utah. 
like it's an amazing showdown no matter what happens we should just be encouraging the research on any of these world's largest organisms let alone things like super organisms and stuff like that even more interesting out there and one kind of last little fun fact about Pando is it was actually featured in 2006's 40 Wonders of America, the government stamp collection. I just like to see all the different 40 wonders that they presented back then. And it was all of like the best things, like the most extreme. So I'm talking like the most active volcano, which is a Kilauea, the tallest monument, which is the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the fastest bird, the deepest lake. Uh, that's Crater Lake, that's a peregrine falcon, and of course the world's largest organism, our boy Pando. So, let's get into some of the best parts about Pando, how you could go visit it today and go hang out with him and sleep right under his singing leaves. Let's talk about it. Oh boy, here it is, the best part of Pando, for sure. This is a one-of-a-kind site, a, a unique marvel to the entire world, and it is one of those miracles right around people who are just jet-skiing on by, and they might not even know. So let's find the location. It's in central Utah, mainly a little bit south, and the closest town nearby is gonna be a place called Loa. 25 minutes north of Loa, and it's a wonderful little town, and let me say, oh boy, Loa has one of the best curry pizza places ever. It's along the main road to the right, right as you're uh, coming into town from uh, Fish Lake, or right as you're leaving town on the left. It even has a sign put up that has an endorsement from a travel town channel show so uh highly recommend it looked kind of gimmicky but for just a random utah mountain highway the best curry pizza let me tell you uh the only other thing nearby is about 45 minutes to the northwest of pando is a town called richfield and richfield is like the only actual town you'll find out there they got a walmart they got a mcdonald's they got the that might be it though. They don't really have like everything, but they have the essentials, especially in the southern stretch of Utah as a whole. I mean, it's a super desolate place. You'll see towns on the map, but they're not actual full towns. Usually they're just communities with no, maybe a gas station at best, but no fast food, maybe a subway every once in a while. But yeah, it's super desolate. So make sure you're prepared. You're gonna need water. You're out in Utah, especially during the summer. It gets hot. You don't know when the next gas station is coming up. So make sure you got the water on you. Make sure you know where the next gas station is, especially with food too. Make sure, I, when I lived out in Utah, down towards uh, Lake Powell area, I would meet so many people that had been like, I haven't seen food in two hours. You're the, you're the only place serving food anywhere nearby. And it's like, yeah, for sure. Like, <laughs> I have to drive three hours to a Walmart, so yeah, I get it. Definitely make sure you're prepared when you're going out there. Get your food, get your gas, get Chihuahua. And it could be literally like an hour or two in between gas stations, so be really careful. Especially out in that desert heat. Gosh, it could eat people alive. Driving over canyons and mountain passes and stuff too. If you're a skittish driver, I mean, it's a stressful time. Another big indicator I have too is don't get fooled by GPS. Especially in Southern Utah, there's a lot of like trails and paths that turn into dirt roads or just randomly become super unkept. You could wind up on top of a mountain pass super randomly. Uh, so to avoid that, definitely just stick with highways and know what you could trust. If the road looks good, trust it. But I mean, 
be be cautious out there and seriously take advantage of places like richfield get that walmart tripping get whatever you could need because i mean other major locations is like beaver utah that's an actual like city almost uh that's two hours away salt lake city is three and a half hours away uh so you know it's a little bit of a drive if you're trying to get out to it but in utah especially the southern stretch you could drive five hours and not find hardly anything so uh three and a half ain't too bad definitely worth it especially to see a once in a lifetime marvel of the world you, they ain't got it nowhere else that's just in america dog and like i said be very careful on these mountain roads especially at night there's grazing cattle on the roadside some people aren't used to just cattle especially in the desert just wandering about especially at night they'll wind up on the road you're coming at it at 70 80 miles an hour you can't swerve fast enough it's a small desert road i mean it's not gonna go great so be careful and besides that dude you're up at fish lake you're going past a bunch of like boat drivers and people coming off of a lake you gotta be super careful of these mountain passes they could be going 60 down a windy canyon pass towing a four ton boat behind them like seriously you gotta be careful out there but if you make it out there and you get past all my precautions you will find the world's biggest organism now this is for you if you're like pulling up to it right now let me try and help you so you're turning off of route 24 and you're coming onto highway 25 there's signs on both sides that are telling you fish lake is right up the road you'll see the mason and you're just gonna go up for a little bit it's gonna wind to the right and you're gonna enter this alpine basin it's gonna take about 15 to 20 minutes to hit the lake itself and just know if you hit the water you've gone too far the trees are growing along the southeast ridge of the lake so as you're coming in, they're gonna be on that left side, especially when you take the first big bend, you're gonna start seeing a lot of different quaking aspens uh, and not all of them are panda. There are a lot of different trees growing in this region for sure. So you gotta kind of know what you're looking for. And definitely the biggest indicator is just going to be these giant preserved areas. You're gonna see quaking uh, aspens, which are white, trees with these yellow leaves especially in fall time in the gr uh, springtime they'll be green but yeah a lot of the time they're going to turn yellow really quickly and you're looking for these preserve areas because these are the panda regenerative zones so that's where you know for sure at least the state government is trying to like support growth of it which means it's in that area or at the very least the roots are underneath you right now I mean, if you're driving on the highway, the roots travel underneath it. So you have already gone over Pando. But if you wanna see the actual trees itself or maybe hold a twig that had fallen off, I definitely recommend going over to one of those zones. Don't go inside the zone or any gated off area where it says you're not allowed. Some people are allowed. These aren't like hard lined areas. They're mainly just to get ungulates out. But I mean, I don't endorse anything. What you need to pretty much know is if you're in that area, just look around. Pando is all around you. It's under you right now. If you're near the regenerative zone, you're on the outskirts of Pando. You're where it's trying to grow and stuff. You Anywhere inland of that, if you look up the basin to your left, that's all Pando. Maybe not every single tree, but by and large, that is all one organism staring down upon you. Now, there's only a handful of turnoffs before you hit the lake. There's probably like three or four. One of them's for a campground. One of them's for a windy, weird little path. I went down that and parked on the windy path and just found a pull off along that path. Super easy, you just walk around that area. Super nice area, really friendly locals. There might be a ranger or two hanging around, but there's no visitor center or anything that I saw. 
There's a boat launch, a lot of neat areas. I went there when Fish Lake was frozen once, and that was a really cool experience to be able to go along the frozen lake bed. You know, oh, is it gonna fall? I'm, I'm from California. I was a, a little sussed out, but it was a great time. I definitely recommend. So there you are, hanging out with all the clones of this ancient forest god. Go ahead and spend a nice picnic there. Just enjoy the water of the lake. Go for a nice swim. Go take your boat out, jet ski. And you know, just hang out with Pando alongside you while you're chilling at Fish Lake. Also note that you are on top of the highest freshwater lake in all of Utah. Super sick little stat to get to. Camping actually does seem widely available. There are a bunch of private grounds and they didn't seem like there were that much money. I'd highly recommend spending an evening under the stars with the world's largest homie, Pando. Tell me about your trip to Pando if you're able to make it out there. It's a phenomenal trip. It's, I mean, a couple hours from Zion National Park, a couple hours from Capitol Reef National Park. I mean, Utah has the big five five different national parks, all within a, generally like a five hour span of each other. And I got to check out every single one of them. That's also canyon lands, that's arches, and a big homie, one I didn't expect to be so amazing, but Bryce Canyon of all things too, absolutely amazing. So go check out all the national parks that Utah has to offer, all the beautiful nature it has to offer in general, and especially go check out the world's largest organism, Pando. Alright, let's get a wrap up going on our trembling giant, the world's largest organism, Pando. So Pando is a quaking aspen colony. It's a single root system growing thousands of trees that are all genetically the same. Pando doesn't produce pollen like most other trees, but clones itself by sprouting new trees straight out of the ground in a process called suckering. Pando is 12,000 years old at the latest and has 40,000 trees under its command, constantly growing out. It said if you stretch its roots, it could reach 12,000 miles, almost half of the world. Pando is extremely visitable, and I would definitely recommend going and taking a trip out to Fish Lake. And beyond many report that it is dying, I mean, it just doesn't seem to be all too true as the regender factors are holding up pretty well, and we are supporting it with our government funds and creating new regenerative zones. No matter how much the ungulates want to kill it, they ain't gonna do it today not the conifers either. They could grow over Pando, they could do whatever, but I mean, Pando will endure. I'd highly recommend the visit. It's just off of Highway 25 in Utah. You know, just a night under the stars with this elder god as its leaves sing to you. One interesting factor about quaking aspens is that their leaves always flutter, almost even without wind they'll still be fluttering in the wind. It's something to do with the bend in its leaf design. A fascinating little trait for sure. For further research, I'd recommend my favorite sources, the friendsofpando.org site, checking out the USDA file on Fish Lake Basin and the Utah State Park and Rec.gov website on Pando. It's got a whole little feature section on it. Some fantastic research to be done. In the future, maybe you could visit some of the siblings of Pando or other giants of the world from the parasitic God in Malheur National Park, the honey mushroom, the killer of forest, the humongous fungus, 
or we could check out Pando's strongest competitor, Australia's Poseidon Ribbonweed. There's plenty of other elder gods to check out, whether it be the world's tallest tree or the world's largest singular tree, like we had mentioned the General Sherman, or respectively the Redwood for the tallest. There's tons of other super organisms to check out in the world, like the largest ant colonies or termite mounds. How these giant colonies all function at once. Fascinating stories, and you're gonna have to stick around for more of these unique aspects of our world on next week's case of Fringe History. Fringe History is research written and produced by me, Basti B. Fringe History is an independent podcast relying and welcome to any sightings, encounters, or funding to help expand our community. Submit any stories to fringehistorypod at gmail.com or on Instagram at fringehistorypod. Make sure to follow the social media for episode drops and daily content, like daily cryptids. I got MetaZoo cards on there, depictions of different spirits, aliens, and of course, Tons of cryptids on there. Uh, and all the pictures you want to see from the case you heard today and all the other cases, it could be a good spot to find your next episode. And if you want to help support this podcast for absolutely free, please go leave a review anywhere you heard this. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, anywhere you listen to your podcast. Thank you a ton. And as always, stay weird out there. Keep adventuring, folks.